All right. Well, we're recording now. Mike, thank you so much for coming on, buddy. I really do appreciate it. No problem. How was your drive here? Uh, My drive here was awesome. It was a beautiful day out today. So (laughs) nice drive. Short drive. Good. That's well for everybody listening. Thank you so much for listening on this episode. But this is our third attempt to try to record <laughs> because is. the first time I couldn't get the audio to work properly. The second time my power went out to my house, and so now third time's the charm. So I think your neighbors yeah. thought you had a new roommate. I've been here so many times <laughs> in and out. So well, I felt bad last time I told you I was going to buy you a tank of gas. <laughs> no, it's it's like right. today's economic uh, forum here. Yeah, no kidding. So, uh, well, awesome. Well, again, thank you for coming on, taking the time out of your day. It's Memorial Day, so thank you for that. Um, so let's go ahead and talk about where are you from and where did you grow up and then where you're at today. So born and raised in Johnson County, um, grew up in the Bargersville area, uh, went to Franklin High School, graduated from Franklin High School. Um, once I got out of high school, I grew up on the farm, farmed with my dad, then joined the military, went into the Navy, did my four years in the Thank Navy. Thank you for your service. Uh, during uh, Desert Shield, Desert Storm, did all that business, came back home, got out, uh, went to work for farm machinery companies selling farm machinery, um, but I was also at the time a volunteer firefighter um, and started doing my volunteer firefighting and uh, kind of a side gig. It really wasn't one of those things where I was on because I thought I was going to make a career out of it. Um, it was more just something I enjoyed doing. Um, then as time went on, um, I got hired uh, by the city of Franklin fire department. That's where I started my career there in 1991. I got, or no, 93. I got to think back. So 93, I started with city of Franklin fire department. And, uh, so I was there for, um, seven years and then transferred to, uh, Wayne township when they became a career department. And did 20 years there, retired with 27 in the pension, and uh, got hired at Bartersville as a deputy fire chief once I left there. Um, but I was with Bartersville all these years, so um, total altogether about 30, I think around 37, 38 years in the fire service now. Um, so it's been pretty much my life, and then there's been a multitude of different involvements that have branched off of that, uh, whether it was being involved in FEMA USAR task forces. I mean, it just, just lots of things uh, were born out of my my uh, my time in the fire service. But I've been very lucky throughout my career. Um, I have a son who is also on the job. He's on the job at Wayne Township, going into his third year there. So very proud of him, and and uh, he uh, that's what he wanted to do all along through his whole life. Uh, he kind of grew up around the firehouse. And so I now live in Bartersville with my wife, Angela, who's a respiratory therapist at Riley Hospital. And uh, we're involved in just a little bit about everything. And I'm getting older, really old. I was going to say, how old are you? So I'm 56. (laughs) You're 56? Uh, Yeah. I'm old enough enough now that uh, I have people that ask the question, now when were you on a fire truck? So so you know you're getting old when people can't remember, unless it's, you know, people the same age as you remember you being in, you know, fighting fires and in the companies. Um, but that, that kind of hits you hard when somebody says you were, you were on a fire truck. Yes, I was at one point. <laughs> so how long have you been off a truck? Uh, so I went off the truck at Wayne township. I was on the ladder there for, um, most of my career. And then I came off, um, my last, I think it was about my last five or six years at Wayne township. I came into admin and I was the, uh, came in the first time I, I did two stints in admin, five years, um, 
came in first as the uh, special operations chief and the public information officer and then went back for a short time back to the ladder truck then came back again and was just the public information officer and so i finished up there uh, being the pio i do have a question i do see a lot of your your PIO stuff, you're always on the news with something. So like, I'm always just like, man, God dang, how does he get on the news so much? Like you do a great job with that. You do a great job with posting pictures and videos and information. Like I really do enjoy that aspect of you, what you do on that. Uh, I'm a news junkie and I love promoting what we do in the fire service. I mean, it's, I love talking about what we do. Um, a lot of people call me, might call me a media whore or something like that, but, uh, you know, it's, and I understand why they would say yeah. that. Um, but I've always been big on pitching what we do, mm-hmm. um, to help people understand what we do. Um, and so I've always enjoyed that. So, uh, as far as public information officer, I did that at the city of Franklin. So I started back then when the fire chief, uh, had me handle media request on the side back then I did it at Bargersville and at Wayne Township. I've done it in FEMA and then gone out west for the wildland fires, which I'm still involved in that, going out working as a public information officer out west during wildfires. So I have a passion for telling our story, however it might be, on whatever front it is. And so just to help the general public understand what we do, because everybody watches things on TV or they've made their own perception of what we do, and it's usually incorrect. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I just like to to educate uh, about what we do. So to kind of go in a little bit more of the media stuff, what is your opinion, not the policies of your department, but your opinion of firefighters posting pictures, videos of stuff other than the obvious patient information going on a call and posting, you know, whatever vehicle accident you're on. What's your opinion on that guys just posting videos from around the firehouse, kind of razzing each other a little bit, as long as it's not going way overboard. Right. But what's your opinion on that? Um, We've seen what happens when things go bad on social media. Mm-hmm. Um, firefighters will post something that they thought might be harmless. They didn't think about it before they posted it. And we're always a representation of the fire department, no matter what we post, whether it's fire department related or non-fire department related. As long as that media on that profile of your Facebook page and it says, you know, I'm a firefighter with Bartersville or Greenwood or whoever, people tie that back to your agency. So having a social media policy is very important um, and educating everyone on the department. Now, one of the things that, that at Wayne Township, I didn't go around and play social media police, but tried to get the message out to the guys like, hey, this is what you can post and what you cannot post when talking about department related. So I didn't mind them posting photos from around the firehouse mm-hmm. as long as they were good natured. And, and obviously somebody's going to complain no matter what you do. You'll always have that yeah. person who's offended. They're always going to weigh in and, and they're just going to be on the attack all the time, no matter mm-hmm. what you post. But if you're using good judgment and what you're posting, and I always ask them, Hey, if you got any question to whether it's in good judgment or not, or good taste, send it to me first I'll say, yeah, you can post that on your personal page, mm-hmm. your Twitter, your Facebook, whatever you want, TikTok, or whatever you want to do. I don't have a problem with that as long as it's, uh, you know, mm-hmm. in good taste. Um, there have been times that I've had to call and say, hey, dude, you got to take that down. Or, or yeah, I, I know that that's your opinion on it, but you, you can't express that like that or not in that way. And so you have to find a better way of expressing Yes. It. Instead I, of I was I was not attack. someone who just went to bring the hammer down on people because I want them to talk about what they do too. Mm-hmm. You know, your personal page. You want to talk about you know, um, 
you know, run you had and, you know, everybody did a great job. One of the things that I always warn fire departments about is that when we post things like, boy, it's a great fire. And that translates into some people's minds as, why is that great? People just lost everything they owned. And you're saying, boy, it's a great fire. Here's a group photo of all of us standing out in front of the fire, hugging each other. And, you know, we got our arms around each other. But we got to stop and think about... You know, I understand that what we're talking about is it was a great fire because that's what we trained to do. We go in, we put the fire out, we did a great job, everybody worked together. But what it translates into is this was a great day for our fire department. And that's not the message you want to get across. And that's what I always warn fire departments mm-hmm. about a lot of times when I'm training other public information officers is like, be very careful with those group shots. You know, um, I can remember back in Wayne Township, you when I first started there, um, there were a couple fires we had, and the guys were outside. And back then, there were a lot more smokers on the fire department, mm-hmm. and so they'd be standing outside smoking a cigarette in front of a house that just burnt down due to careless smoking. And I can remember, you know, <laughs> us getting some negative feedback on that. It was kind of an eye opener. It's like, yeah, you're probably right on that. You know, we're not really sending the message we want to send there. So you just have to be very careful with some of the things like that and what the public perception is even though we understand it you know our adrenaline was pumping we went in we did a great job stopping the fire this is our group shot we want it for memories of our guys out there on the job but let's do it in the right place right time under the right circumstances it's kind of a good point to bring up because i've even realized recently i've made some posts that one of them i was asked to take down so i took it down it was a hilarious post yeah it was good but um you guys have a job in your administrative side and you guys are trying to play like kind of a little bit of a damage control and you're just trying to kind of keep the, the, the heat off of you, which I get it and I understand. But on the younger guy side, it's, it's always, you see, you hear the stories about back in the day, what guys used to do to each, like with each other and stuff like that, oh, yeah. Raz and giving each other shit. And you're like, man, I want to be a part of that. So then you jump into it, then you get your PP smacked and you're just like, well, I thought I could do that. And then you, you can't do it as much as what they used to do back in the day. Yeah. So it gets kind of tough and gets difficult to want to kind of push that stuff out there. But, um, but I do understand, I do understand that there's the importance of creating the public image for the department. I do understand that, but it's also awesome that you're trying to get the information out to the public because a lot of people, they think it's just another episode of Chicago fire. Yeah. And then I've had friends ask like, so what's it like living in a firehouse? Is it just like in the show, like TV shows? I'm like, no, not even close. Yeah. Not even close. So firehouse life, you know, when I came in over 30 some years ago, working the fire service, I mean, we have our, we had our good times and sometimes those good times were, uh, a little bit extreme sometimes. Mm-hmm. And what I talk about the pranks and the things yeah. you're, you know, messing with each other in the firehouse. Um, and today cultures have changed. Um, you know, there's a little bit, people are a little bit more, uh, sensitive to some things that we yes. used to do, um, that you just can't do in the firehouse anymore. And not to say that we don't have a good time. We find our ways to, you know, when you're in the firehouse with each other for 24 hours, guys and gals are going to like, you know, they're going to like still prank each other now and then or have some fun with each other. And, you know, that is one of the things that I always and will always will go on the firehouse is having a good time. But we have to do it. We have our good time has to be in a certain, I don't know, it can't be the same good times they had <laughs> 40, 50 years ago. Yeah. It's just not acceptable these days. And for good reason, in some cases, I mean. Yes, I do have a question on yeah. that, and this is a thought that I've been—it's been kind of brewing in my head. Do you think the reason why a lot of this stuff has changed is because the this is going to sound bad, 
the range of inclusivity that departments have to go through to get all different kinds of people to get them hired on. Instead of you look back in the day, you look at the pictures of the guys back in, you know, from the twenties, thirties, forties, fifties, all the way up to the seventies and eighties. Those these dudes look hardcore. Like most guys were, they came out of the military. Mostly, most of the men did serve in the military. So it was just a completely different mindset of what is expected versus today where most everybody on the department probably never served. And most everybody on the department's never really gone through anything really, really tough. I would say most, not saying all, but also the, the range of different types of people. Not saying it should be one type of person. I mean, I'm talking type A personality is what you want, but I'm not talking race. I'm not talking gender. I'm just talking about the wide range of people. Cause like, even for me, like I was barely experienced in life when I first got hired on. Right. So then I'm going to come on and then I get razzed and stuff like that. Then I'm going to get butthurt about it and I'm going to cry. Cause I never really had anything hard <laughs> growing up. I've had a pretty easy life. Yeah. So like, that's something that's been in my mind running around. Like a lot of this has changed because it's just more soft and it sounds bad saying that, but we've never really had anything hard really happen to my generation. Yeah. Like, um, and I'm not talking about like the terrorist attacks, like 9/11 or anything, because that's obviously that is extremely difficult and that is that is terrifying. But in my area, for me, for our generation, never really generationally growing up, never had any tough time, no war that we've had to have been drafted to to go fight. So that's a big reason why I think there's a huge difference from back in the day with those guys retiring, getting out to the newer generations coming in. But that's just my thing. No, what I, do you think? I, I, I truly believe that. I mean, uh, I mean, you look back way back in history and who filled firefighter spots years ago. Basically, criminals, people like that were the only people that could get to go out and, and mm-hmm. do this type of work. So we've, we've progressed a long ways. But, you know, we came along and we we're a paramilitary organization. And, you know, being paramilitary... If you've never been in the military, you really don't understand Mm -hmm. what military is about, you know. And so that was, uh, but as we've gone on through generations in the fire service, and I've witnessed it, um, there's a change. There's a change in culture. And as leaders in the fire service, we have to adapt to that. You know, we, there's still like, there's still a lot of old school in me that, uh, you know, when somebody um, messes up on a run of the firehouse, I, I tend to light them up and that's not a leadership style that is really promoted a lot these days as far as just hammering them and like just tearing them down right there when they made the mistake. And so I've transitioned from some of that into taking a little bit more tactful approach just with a newer generation of firefighters. Mm-hmm. And there's a way to get to your end point without having to, throttle somebody now not to say that i'm not going to still because that's just kind of my style sometimes and you can ask any of the guys that i work around mm-hmm. especially at bartersville um i've gotten feedback before from them <laughs> you know asking me why are you such an asshole you know and so it's sort of like just how i was brought up in the fire service you know i didn't you know when some when i messed up it was nothing for the officer to come and and you know give me the beans about it right there in front of my crew and so as we move forward in a different generation, different way of thinking, a different way of leadership, as officers, we have to adapt a little bit and change. doesn't mean we have to give up our old style completely because I'm not going to do that. But I do believe that there are new ways to, you know, approach issues within the firehouse, issues with an individual, and tactfully do this. Now, if we go through the process 
and this progressive discipline or corrective action or and we don't get the results we need now we're going to change the system <laughs> uh, we're going to change how we're going to approach the individual on to to get it through their head that mm -hmm. i want this change to happen this has to happen so it's a lot different than when i first came in but if you don't change a little bit as a fire officer today if you especially if you're an older fire officer um you're going to fail it's just a reality of it you got to find new ways new tactful ways to to deal with a new generation of kids coming into the job what are some of those ta new tactical ways that you've noticed that have worked for the younger generation well one is that setting an example first because you know they still look for leadership they still look for i mean they're still looking for the guy they 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 want to see you doing the same thing that you're telling them to do so i think it's very important that you have to set that example first you can't be an officer that tells people hey this that's bs and you need to be doing this and you're doing it wrong when the officer's not really doing it or nor has he ever done it but because he put the badge on now he you know he is the expert in that field and so i think you have to set that example first i think it's one-on-one -on -one conversations um not necessarily you know pulling them out in front of the group and belittling a someone in front of the group on the mistake they made i mean we all give each other the beans about mm -hmm. you know when we do mess up it's kind of humorous but in a lot of ways that can be hard on somebody to do that in front of the group now if we sit down and we go through that and the step and what our corrective action is going to be and because they may not understand you know maybe have they been taught the right way to do something if they've never been taught it's like somebody brought up to me the other day um at a firefighter's funeral they called for the hand salute oh, guess man. what a large number of the guys that were newer to the department had never been in the military had never been trained on how to hand salute and so when you look down the line at the hand salutes it was a mess <laughs> so everybody assumed that yeah. hey you put the uniform on you the firefighter you understand how to do a hand salute and so we can't assume that everybody understands how to do something so we got to make sure they were trained properly to mm -hmm. do it in the first place before we go out and try to do this corrective action and so that's just always the first steps it's just slowing the process down working with individuals to and they're you know i'm in a deputy chief's position so it may be me the battalion chief and their officer that are working together for this corrective action it may be a battalion chief it may be a, a, a lieutenant or a captain i'm working with but it's just more one-on-one -on -one, more personalized type of corrective action conversations uh bringing it down to earth uh just to make sure that they totally understand what you're trying to get them to do so i i've only i in my 20 years at wayne township as an officer up there i never wrote anyone up in all those years because i was able to sit down with individuals in my office and just talk about the problem and we fixed the problem um so I always had a lot of success with that. There's a lot of people out there that just want to hang paperwork left and right. Mm -hmm. They think they get the gold badge on or the officer badge, and immediately they're like, oh, I got to start writing people up. And that's just the wrong approach on that. You just can't handle that. So it's a new generation, new time, but you got to adapt or you're going to fail as an officer. That's very true. One second. I'm going to change the camera. Okay. I'll cut this part out. But I was looking at it like, God dang, I did a horrible job. That's right. I 
That's all right. I'll cut this part. I was looking at it, I'm like, God, I'm so stupid. <laughs> no, that looks better. Okay. My next question was going to be a little bit different. So with you having experience at Wayne Township and then also at Bargersville, do you pull anything from, with you being deputy chief at Bargersville, do you pull anything from Wayne to Bargersville, like mix and match a little bit of each of the departments? And then do you pull from other departments? And if so, what do you pull from most of those departments and who do you pull from? So I pull a lot from Wayne Township. And one of the benefits of being at Wayne Township was we were a smaller agency in a major city. So we had uh, the ability to walk in and see the chief anytime, smallest agency. Mm -hmm. If we had an idea that we wanted for the department, we could take it in the admin and share it with them and like we could get quick results. You get into bigger agencies than that. Sometimes there's more layers of bureaucracy, but you still get those big city runs. You get the, the variety of runs. And so I think once I went up there and I experienced that and I experienced being in the, a little bit larger department, when I came back to Bargersville, that experience that I had up there helped me, you know, come back and, and teach the good thing was I'd been at Bartersville all my life, pretty mm -hmm. much. So I knew what I was getting back into. And so to bring some of those city concepts or the bigger urban area concepts back to Bartersville, um, that that was something that I benefited from bringing that back. And that can have been from leadership, um, tactics, you know, or SOGs, how we do things in the department. Um, I think that was a major help because I got exposed to that to come back. So sometimes a problem down at Bartersville, uh, based on my history of problems that I may have run into my career at Wayne Township, were not as big a deal because I knew how to deal with them in that bigger department. And coming back here to a smaller department, it was easier to work through those and gave me that experience. Do you think that guys would see it being a problem because they'll sit there and think, well, this is, you know, this is Wayne Township. You don't bring Bargersville stuff up here. Or this is Bargersville. Let's, let's use other departments as well. Let's say, let's talk about Greenwood and let's talk about uh, White River. Well, that's a White River thing. Don't bring it here to Greenwood. Yeah. And do you think that a lot of the guys at either of the departments will give you a lot of the shit that you really don't need to be hearing from them? Because it's like, well, this is not what Bargersville does. Or this is not what Wayne Township does. Like, you better learn our way. I Everywhere I've been, we've heard that. You know, I've heard that. You know, well, you know, because it's hard to sit at the table at Bargersville and not go, well, one day at band camp or one day at Wayne Township, <laughs> we did this. You know, it's like I think the guys are they're like, oh, God, here comes another Wayne Township story. Or we did this at Wayne Township. And and it's hard because that was 20 years of my life and mm -hmm. my experience came from there. Or when I was at the city of Franklin, we did this. So. And it goes vice versa. You know, you're Wayne, if you were Wayne Township and you mentioned something about what Bartersville, well, you know, Bartersville's this little bitty department in Johnson County. Mm -hmm. What the hell they know about coming up here and giving an idea? But what I remind everybody is, is that we none of us came up with the original idea uh, of anything. I mean, Greenwood, Bartersville, Wayne Township, Indianapolis, somebody came up with the idea of the fire engine. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, you know, somebody brought it up. And, and so I always encourage guys like, hey, if you know of another way or another department that's doing something and you bring it up, bring it up tactfully. Bring it up as, you know, have all your information together. Don't just go it's something you saw and go, 
and have no information on why it's being done. But I think that that's how we grow mm-hmm. as a fire service is we got to share ideas. I mean, Bargersville just didn't one day go, boy, EMS, you know, we're going to bring EMS. Oh, that's a, that's a big city thing. We're not bringing EMS. Well, guess what? We do EMS. We, somebody else gave us the idea. Somebody else gave us the idea on what kind of nozzles to carry. Somebody else gave us the idea of hose. We pick up Firehouse Magazine all the time or any of those publications and we see ideas and it may not have another fire department's name on it, but we'll go, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. But if you'd attached, say, White River Township Fire Department to that story, they'd be like, oh, that's mm-hmm. a White River thing. Well, you know, you can't do that. You got to look at the new ideas or you're going to get stale really quick, you know, and there are a lot of great ideas. Now, it still comes down to pulling the hose off the truck, getting water in the hose, you know, making the stretch because everything gets better when when the fire goes out. Harry Tibbetts like would always preach that to us uh, when he was our training guy at Wayne Township. You know, the water goes on the fire, everything gets better. So st- still today when you go on and you see the videos of guys stretching line and they're screwing it up or it's taking ever, forever to get that line off and get water mm-hmm. on the fire... We still have a basics problem. If you can come up with ways to to train guys that other departments are using, jump on it, man. Bring it in. And yeah, you're going to catch some flack. And some ideas are crazy as hell that you bring in there. You go, well, we were doing that 20 years ago. And now this is the new idea again, you know, to Mm -hmm. come around and and do that. Whether it's fog, whether it's smooth bore. I mean, you know, the the argument goes on. But if you don't get any water come out of the nozzle, it doesn't matter. (laughs) But but no, I I think, you know, guys got to... That's how we get new ideas. You got to bring them in from other departments. And uh, it just can't be always be a White River or an mm-hmm. IFD or a Bargersville or a Wayne Township thing. Because you, you said it perfectly. Because if you don't, don't do that and you don't listen to everybody else, you get stale and you get left behind. And then you're that department that was awesome back 10, 15 years yeah. ago. But no, you're no longer that department. No. You're, and there's departments out there that I know of that back in the day, they were the biz. Like they were the best. But they got stuck in that way because it's this is our way. Yeah, it's. I don't agree with that because there's so many other people out there that like like getting to talk with people from out of state. Like when FDIC comes in, like listening to what they do every day for training and seeing the stuff they post on like Instagram and stuff like that. It's like there's just so many different ways of doing stuff. And that and we switched our uh, our cross lays to Minuteman. Now there's people around us that do the Minuteman, and it's so much better than the stupid Z load. <laughs> but there's departments out there that do the Z load. Well. And, it's, you know, we went, we had the Z load mm-hmm. at Wayne Township. We had the Z load at Bartersville mm-hmm. and we had the arguments and we had the conversations yeah. on, on the best load. And, and if you know how to use a Z load, yes, you're good. Yeah. If you know how to use a minute, man, you're good. The problem is like, I don't care what hose we use or hose load we use, but you better be able to stretch it. Yes. And so, you know, so we, we went to the minute man load at mm-hmm. Bartersville at not long ago. It was basically put it out there first i was a little hesitant to change because you have a transit you have people that come and go as your part-time staff and so having to retrain them all the time on how to do things and everybody's like well it's just a bitch to load the z load back in well i don't care how long it takes you to put the hose back (laughs) on the truck i just care about how long it takes to get it off so after a lot of conversation and they threatened to hang me uh and uh you know that I wouldn't wake up the next morning things like that i decided it was best that maybe we should try the minute man so, which i was okay with and they train a lot on it and they've gotten good at it so i i don't care as long as you can pull the hose off the truck and put the fire out that's yeah. all i need i don't need 
a jumbled mess next to the no matter what hose load it is. That's embarrassing. Oh my gosh! Yeah. For that to happen, and for and an engineer, that, it's annoying. Oh, it is. You look over and there's a spaghetti mess yeah. right next to you. It, it is. It's a mess. And uh, you know, I always, whenever we do training, I wish that I could take a shrin a syringe full of adrenaline and jam it in everybody's chest during training to give them that feeling that they get when they're pulling up on that working fire yeah. and you know your, your blood's pumping and you're just kind of like you're trying to get your mind together um just to re so we could recreate that mm-hmm. muscle memory what it feels like you get, get that, that extra rush, strength that, too yes that extra strength. i mean what you can what you can do is get your department on testosterone which you could do that <laughs> yeah. which i highly I, recommend i highly <laughs> recommend doctor prescribed this is a obviously uh, this is a commercial for yeah. testosterone if you have low t go ahead and talk to your doctor get your your levels checked and then get put on that shit because yeah, it is amazing no i <laughs> Lots of good conversation. And, and as a leader in the department, when you have guys that have, you know, they want to have a lot of conversation about that. Um, you know, one thing that I've learned, especially since I come back to Burgersville, um, is being in that deputy chief spot. I got to listen to the guys and start, you know, hey, all right, if you want to do this, then we'll do it. And, uh, you know, if it works, great. You know, I'm glad, I'm glad we figured this one out. So do you have that open door policy? Oh, absolutely. Have you noticed any issues with chain of command with that open door policy? And if somebody does come to you about something that, uh, hey, this needs to be discussed with your officer or your battalion chief before it comes to me, it's have you noticed a lot of that happening? Or do you guys mostly understand that? I think guys understand it. Um, I think it's just real easy in a smaller department. You know, guys walking down the hallway, doors open. They pitch something out to me or they ask me a question about something. And I'm perfectly okay with that now. If it's something, it's a complaint, then we're going to back up a little bit and, hey, send it to your officer, bring it to the battalion chief, and then if they can't resolve it, because the worst thing I hate to hear is when the battalion chief or the officer comes to me and goes, I didn't know anything about that. You know, they didn't say anything about it. So I think chain of command is still very important. But, you know, but if you have something that you don't feel like you can talk to your officer about, the battalion chief about, then you know my door's open. We're going to talk. We'll start. We'll start back at the beginning if I feel like it needs to go back down to the officer level. Do you think that this is something that I've always kind of wondered ever since I've been working? Do you think that the chief should be somebody like a friend to the department, or do you think he should be something more of a an administrative aspect for the department? Meaning, I'm. I'm your boss. I'm going to do what's best for you, but I ain't your friend because I'm going to tell you things that you're not going to like. Yeah, what, what is your opinion on that? That's always a tough one, especially as you get promoted through the ranks mm-hmm. and you, you know, because when you're down in the ranks with the guys on the apparatus and you work on the firehouse and you're all buddies and you're friends and then you get promoted and that separation starts, you know, starts, it can be pretty tough uh, for some guys to work through that. But I think that you can be friends I think that, I think, you know, I don't think you totally just, if if you get promoted to chief, I don't think you got to shut people out because I think you got to remember where you came from. And, you know, you always hear, you know, people talk about a firefighter's chief, you know, that I think there's a place for that where you can be down to earth with your people and um, still be their friends, but you have to lay the expectations out. Listen, I'm charged with this job of being the chief of the department now Um, i'm going to have to make some tough decisions and some of those decisions may not be popular with everybody but you know 
um, always do the best job you can to to make sure that you know you're not doing self-serving things as the chief all of a sudden now you're chief and you go into the office and now you're just serving more of yourself than you are the guys down the ranks whether it's your battalion chiefs your captains lieutenants whatever so i think as long as you go up there and you're still spending every hour doing everything you can for the guys down below that friendship can go on, but there has to be a clear understanding that, hey, I've got a job to do up here and it's not going to be popular sometimes. And uh, and nobody really, I always tell everybody, should, when they come on the fire department, you get to spend a couple of years in the companies, then you have to be assigned to headquarters and work in admin for at least one to two years. Maybe one year is just enough because I remember guys that would come in on light duty at Wayne Township oh, was up there for like no. a week or a month and they were like, this is nuts. This is crazy because you spend all your time doing things that are non, like, per, non, uh, fire department. I won't say not fire department related, but things that you you waste. You get sucked into all these black mm-hmm. holes working on things, and you don't get to progress the department like you're wanting to because you're getting sucked into these black holes, whether they're personnel issues, political issues. And so I think everybody should come into admin and have to spend so much time in admin because. Once you've been an admin and you go back to the companies, you're never the same. Because when guys are complaining in the companies about something and you're sitting there at the table, you know why something <laughs> didn't happen. You know what the, the reasons are. And you just can't join in in the conversation. If you open up your mouth and you say, well, now this is the reason why. And they immediately you're ostracized from the group. So that can be a tough situation when you've seen the dark side. Yes. And then you go back. I disagree. <laughs> I, uh, I'll sit here and say I don't want to go into the prison, which is known as administration. <laughs> I did my stint. I always say I did my dime in an admin after I had something happen. So then I had to sit in there for a month and a half. And, uh, oh, my gosh. I mean, but also I'm very politically involved locally and also in the county. I love to pay attention to what's going on yeah. and ask a ton of questions. So I do have an understanding a little bit of what is going on and why decisions are made the way they are. Do you think as a chief for you and maybe some other people that you do know of is that you want that checks and balance from the fireman saying like, dude, you need to remember where you came from. Like what in the fuck are you thinking? Like, would you want that as a deputy chief or as a fire chief at some point to have the guy, some guys come to you. Could it be anybody? Could it be? Does it have to be a certain person? Does it have to be a battalion that would you would rather have come and tell you that, or could it be a black helmet that's just like, hey, between you and me? Like, yeah. So there are a lot of guys, especially at Bartersville. There are a lot of guys that I grew up with. I mean, when I look at the battalion chiefs, two out of the three battalion chiefs, I've spent most of my life around. You know, from growing up in the community, farming, all that. And so we've known each other for years and we know we're, we know each other in the insides and outs of our personalities mm-hmm. and who we are. And uh, they come to me and they're those at least two of the three aren't afraid to give me their opinion on something when maybe they want to see something done different or they don't necessarily agree. They're not rude about it. They're not mean about it. They just bring it to my attention. And there's nothing harder than being in the position and somebody coming into you and telling you, go, dude, you got to chill out. You, you got, you know, I don't know what's, you know, I don't know what's bothering you in your life right now. You got problems. I'm like, I don't have any problems in my life. We don't. <laughs> and so it's hard to take a deep breath and take that constructive criticism sometimes. Now, sometimes the criticism is just 
not it's where they just don't have the information and I made a decision on something and I didn't do a good job of communicating that. And I'm, I'll be the first one that when I'm wrong, I'll admit that I'm wrong. It might take me a couple of days, I'll admit, or, you know, a week, but I will admit I'm wrong. You know, and I'll try to make that correction. And sometimes I'll have success at it and sometimes I won't. But, you know, um, growing up around those guys, we, we kind of understand each other. Um, but I, I did a, uh, it's probably one of the most dangerous things you can do as a chief is put out a survey. Oh, God. And, uh, you know, some chiefs have great success with it. Some mm -hmm. don't. I put out a survey after about a year and a half as the deputy chief. Um, and I got a lot of good uh, feedback on things that were going good. And I got some stuff that I was like, I was like, wow, that's a punch right in the face. But instead of getting pissed about it, I had to stop and go, okay. Why do they think that? And is it a true problem that I need to fix as the deputy chief? And so um, I actually took that as constructive criticism and worked with it. So surveys are dangerous, <laughs> um, but they can be very effective. And I make an anonymous survey that I put out. You know, of course, you always have the guys that are oh, anonymous. It's not anonymous. <laughs> you know, are you kidding me? You're, you're destined for fingerprints on the papers yeah, and everything. Yeah, but, you know... It, <laughs> But it is what it is. But but I do do the surveys, mm -hmm. um, and uh, and I'll probably do another one here in another year and a half to see how things are going. And and a lot of times complaints come because I haven't done a good job of communicating to the troops why we're doing something. Um, so uh, that's something that I always constantly try to work on um, is to just improve that so that they better understand what's going on in the department. Are there things from an administrative point from your spot to the companies that they should or should not know about? Um, there, I would say that when it comes to things that they shouldn't know about, I think that's where, you know, we start dealing with personnel issues. I think if there's something going on with one of our firefighters or our EMS personnel in the department, um, not everybody needs to know that business. Um, if it's especially if it's disciplinary, if it's health related, things like that. Um, but everything else, you know, we're pretty much an open book at Bartersville. And and it, it, we try to keep everybody informed of what's going on. Sometimes we get busy and we don't get that done always. But there are some things that I think are just, you know, could be something political that we're working on behind the scenes with local politicians and we're just trying to keep it under wraps because one of the things that you can do sometimes you can start talking about something that's going to happen and then it doesn't. And then it looks like egg on our face if we don't pull it off. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think that things like that until we know we have solid information on something, maybe it's a pay raise. I mean, anytime you talk about a pay raise within the department, mm -hmm. if it comes out of our mouths that we're looking at a three or four or five, six, six percent pay raise, that's gospel, baby. That's and when happening. it doesn't happen, oh man, you know, everybody's pissed as hell about it and want to know, well, you told us we were going to get six percent. Well, we didn't tell you we were going to get six percent. We just talked, we were trying. So I think there's some <laughs> things like that until we solidify them and we know that you, we're going to uh, for sure get those types of things for you, then, you know, then we'll come out and talk about it. 
the way I'll edit this is that you are getting a 6% raise. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you. That way I'll be like, hey, guys, you're getting a 6% raise. So, I mean, all you got to do is walk in. I mean, our department's small enough still. I mean, all you got to do is walk into the kitchen table, drop some at the kitchen table, and it doesn't take long for it to circle around and make it to all the other uh, personnel. And it changes, of course. Yeah. And that's not it's just our department. That's any department yeah. that happens. And so... Um, when that happens and you sat and you gave the right information and it just changed, I mean, is what it is. I mean, people are going to change the story no matter what you say, but no. So with you being deputy chief, where do you see yourself in five years? And then where do you see your department at in five years? In five years. Wow. Um, you know, right now, probably, hopefully still in the same position, I, I am extremely fortunate to have that deputy chief position at Bartersville Fire Department. Um, and Chief Funkhauser, who I work with, he has been absolutely excellent to work with in our relationship because he um, pretty much handles all the administrative stuff on a day-to-day -day basis. And I handle pretty much the operations stuff. I don't try to mingle too much in his administrative stuff, which <laughs> be honest with you, who would want to, right? It's like, <laughs> uh, but doing all the budgets and all the, you know, just all the personnel stuff. And eventually we're going to grow out of that to where he's going to have to even have more help. But I get to handle all the operation stuff with the battalion chiefs on a daily basis. And so, um, hopefully right where I'm at in there. And so I'm planning on maybe 10 years and that'll put me at 65 and just hanging it all up. I say that, but, I'll probably have to do something else, but I'd say 10 years and hitting 65, but five years doing the same thing I'm doing right now. Our department is growing so much. I mean, the growth in our 71 square miles that we cover, um, it's hard to keep up with, but we're trying and we're going to expand the department. We're going to expand the admin. And so in five years, I think there's going to be a lot of changes there, uh, within, within our agency. Um, and I'm just planning on being right in the middle of it and helping that progress along. So earlier you were talking about being at the Indy 500. Do you, I didn't ask earlier, what is it you do with the Indy 500? I saw a picture of you on Facebook wearing some uniform or whatever. Yeah. So what was it you were doing? So at the Indianapolis 500, uh, Brickyard okay. 400, um, I fill a position on the incident management team that oversees basically the operations off of the track. Okay, so the track has its own IMS operations, own safety. So everything that mm -hmm. goes on off the track spectator-wise I'm the lead safety officer for the IMT, and then I have safety officers that work the ground. And so I've done that for several years. And so that is a huge on-taking uh, for the whole incident management team to manage everything that goes on around that motor speedway during the race. So that's what I do as a safety officer up there in that position. Okay, so let's talk about that for a little bit okay. then. So what kind of training is it that you guys specifically try to hone in on? Is it more of like disaster, like, you know, we talking about bombing. We talking about terrorist attack. We talking about shootings. We talking about collapses. Like just all, all, all hazards, baby. It's all, like, all hazards. It's everything. Yeah. You you gotta you gotta keep like our safety officers that we mm -hmm. use are are the guys I use are all safety officer trained, and so they all have the basics mm -hmm. of incident safety. And so basically at the motor speedway, their job on the ground and my job in the pagoda is to just like if we had a fire on the street you're going to get an instant safety officer that's going to show up. Um, so that's what my safety, is off, safety officer is on the ground. If there's an incident with the motor speedway, fortunately, 
you know, we haven't had any major incidents, knock on wood. It's just the, we always have the, the, the medical related issues that they just kind of observe and keep an eye on, make sure things don't get out of control. But as a group, we're prepared. We try to prepare ourselves for everything. And we work with a whole slew of partners in that incident management team for the motor speedway that come from all walks of government, Um, everything from the federal side to state to local. So it takes the FAA, the weather service. We're all up there in this incident management team. So we're right there to help manage any major incidents that would happen. You know, when you bring 300,000 people into the motor speedway in one day, that's a busy day. You've just moved like the second largest city of the state into the motor speedway. Mm -hmm. And so you have to have the fire apparatus. You have to have EMS. You have to have that, that IMT that I'm a part of to run things and, and, handle the emergencies that do occur, which majority of them are medical emergencies mm-hmm. or somebody had a little bit too much to drink, got dehydrated. Um, people get injured, you mm-hmm. know, just little bumps and bruises and things like that. And, and, you know, people have true medical emergencies out there also. So we manage that, but in the back of our minds, we're always prepared to manage a bigger event that would happen, an unfortunate event. And so knock on wood, we've not had that. And I think a lot of it has to do with the good preparation that that we do out there uh, with all the response partners to make sure whether it's law enforcement, the federal side of the agencies that are there from the Department of Homeland Security, um, working together all the time, that that helps make that place safe or safer, let's put it that way. Have you guys ever had any threats happen before the Indy 500 or the Brickhart? Not, Not that I know of. Um, not that I'm, I'm not privy to, that's one of those things we talked yeah. about. There's certain information that, you know, <laughs> you don't share with the firefighters. I don't know if there is or not. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have federal agencies there that deal with those types of things, but I've never personally dealt with any of those issues at the, at the, at the, uh, track. All I would want, all I would want is be able to borrow one of those earpieces. That way I can sit there and look around and talk like this all the time. Make it look like, <laughs> Make it look like yeah. I'm doing something. So, the, yeah, the earpieces are cool for about the first hour. And then after a while, you're just wanting to pull it out so there's so much radio traffic going on or it's starting to bother you because it's not something you wear all the time. Yeah. Like law enforcement guys, they wear them all the time. So yeah, they get the nice custom it. pieces, yeah. nice comfortable. Mine's a cheapo off of Amazon. And so after about a couple hours, it starts irritating my ear. I don't even want it in there. But, uh, no, it's it's a pretty amazing uh, group that that – make that place go. And and that's just our incident management team. There's a whole slew of personnel from the Indianapolis motor speedway side that run everything from the, you know, the safety officers, the yellow shirts that we're all so familiar with. And, and those people, I mean, you talk about, they, they put on their game face on race day. I mean, you're not going to get much past them. You know, if you don't have the proper credentials, they're pretty good at their security job up Mm -hmm. there. But, uh, you know, they live for that. They love doing that. Those yellow shirts get out. There's generations of yellow shirts from, really? uh, you know, fathers, grandfathers, sons, daughters that go out there and do that safety job out there. And they get, you know, they get a minimal amount of money and get paid yeah. to do that. But it takes, it's a, such a huge operation. This year, we actually sent one of our engines up to help mm-hmm. uh, at the track. Engine 202 went up and helped cover the track this year. And so, my big thing with that was I wanted to expose our guys to large events, uh, to work within that large event. And so just to give them a better understanding of how those large events work, which I think translates back in, if you have or have a large event, whether it's a planned event or not mm-hmm. a planned event, 
you've been in that environment. You've been you've been in the pit. You know you know what it's like. And so I think that's that's one of the things that my goal at Bartersville is to expose our guys to anything I can that would challenge them, because I think that that way when um, something happens or God forbid something happens in our own community. They're like, they've got that muscle. They've got that picture in their mind of, gosh, oh yeah, I've been to large incidents before. We had lots of patients and this mm-hmm. was what was going on and the radio traffic was crazy. Um, it was just, a, you know, just, it sounded like a total mess. But how to organize those things, how to pull it all together. We know we're not going to get control of things. And we, and we know that at the track. I mean, we can control only so much, but when you have 300,000 people and if something happens, you you start putting your, your game into play but you know it's going to take you a little while to get your feet underneath you. Mm-hmm. Just it's just hard to do. And so I like exposing our guys to those types of things so that they bring that back in our community and go, oh yeah, we, you know, we had a a, a bus accident with twenty people involved. Okay, well twenty people, we we can handle this. I, we we just worked an event where there were three hundred thousand mm-hmm. people were being you know taken to the hospital, treated. I mean, just triaged everything. So. I like exposing our people to those types of things. What would be, so let's say an event happens, a chaotic event. Let's go with um, anything like more of a domestic terrorist type of event at the Indianapolis 500. What are the first thoughts that come through your mind if an event like that were to happen? Let's say um, you're up in the pagoda, you hear it, and then you look over and you see it. What are your thoughts that are coming next? My next thoughts is one is I got to make sure that my personnel that are on the ground are one that they're okay. All right. And then staying in my lane. (laughs) So I, you know, I I have safety officers. Mm -hmm. So unless I'm asked my opinion on something, stay in my lane, making sure that I'm taking care of my road of safety and deploying my safety officers to wherever they need to go. Um, Taking a deep breath, because something that we all need to do and making sure that I have the proper going to a check sheet helps me a lot. A lot of times. Okay. Check marks. Okay. We got to make sure this, these things are happening in my lane of activity. Um, and then assisting any of the other agencies or partners in the room that, that need assistance from my safety officers. So, um, it's one of those things until you get thrown into it, that's, you know, it's like all these events that happen across our country and you know, we train for them, whether it would be the active shooters or anything mm-hmm. like that. We train, which is good that we do that, but we really, truly never get, we really, truly know, don't know how we're going to react until an event like that happens. And we hope that it never happens. But in that case, I'm just trying to stay in my line and lane and do my job because there's so many other people that are handling so many other facets of what should be going on during an event like that. And, uh, so really, I'm not going to do anything. I got to stay in my lane. And that's where a lot of people have problems, you know, to sit at that desk, to stay at that desk. It's like a battalion chief showing up on a fire. You're so tempted to get out of the vehicle and go walk around. And, but yet it's very important that you stay in place, in my opinion, in that buggy where you can hear what's going on call for your more resources, track your resources. No. And so it gives you a better picture of the, of the event. You get yourself right down in the middle of it, unless you absolutely feel like you have to, 
you're going to lose the 50,000 foot view of what, what's going on. And so, um, that's, that's what I'm a firm believer in that I'm going to sit there and do my job as the safety and provide my officers to do what they need to do to support the, the response. So we'll, uh, I'll do one more question and then we'll end on that. But, uh, what would be something that you would like for the new generation, the next generation coming up to know about the fire service? You know, everybody always reads the book, Pride and Ownership. And um, I don't care whether you volunteer, part-time, combination, career. You can tell a lot by a fire department when you walk in the door, whether people really give a shit about their agency, by how their trucks look, how their uniforms look, how they treat people. And I think this younger generation of firefighters coming in, like this is different than the younger generation because the generation that I had, we were just volunteers. We just wanted to respond on the calls, throw our blue light on top, mm-hmm. and go race into the scene. You know, guys weren't looking like they didn't get on Greenwood or Bars or White River as a stepping stone to get their career job, you know, working on getting that experience. Back then, it was we were just volunteering for our community. So it's changed a little bit. But what I tell the younger groups is go back to those traditions. Stay with the traditions of the fire service, you know, where we came from. Always know where we came from. You know, the history um, you know, how, I mean, just, there's so many things out there. A lot of people, they love buying the t-shirts, they love wearing the badge, but then they really don't practice the traditions. Now, some of our traditions need to be changed because they're outdated. They may be a little dangerous. So, but there's a lot of things like taking care of one another. And I, and I think in today's fire service, I see a lot of guys not taking care of one another. We talk about family, but we don't put it into play. You know, um, oh, excuse me there. Um, we talk about family, but we don't put it into play. And so, um, we tend to be, um, we think about our, some guys just spend a lot of too much time thinking about themselves or thinking about their business. Like probably, I don't mind guys coming to the firehouse and they have a business on the side, answering phone calls and doing some things. But I think sometimes their fire department job might end up being more like their part-time job. And they use it as that. And so they really don't take a lot of pride when they come into the firehouse of learning more. Um, they just, they're there. They, they come in, they do their 24, they earn their paycheck and they leave. And not that they do a bad job, but they've never really expand on making themselves better. So chase after the traditions. Um, take care of one another in the fire service. You know, when a guy's have down, down in dumps, don't kick him. Helping back up, you know, guys go through all kinds of situations in the fire service and public safety in general. And sometimes, you know, you see guys struggling and they, they don't want to reach out because they don't want to get their balls busted by the other guys that they work with. And they're really struggling over it. And guys struggle with things different. So take care of one another. Just ha- instead of going around trying to tear guys down, it's okay to give a guy some crap a little bit, but know when to stop and know when to say, hey, we got to take care of it. And, and I do like to see that's one of the things I love about Bartersville is the guys down there, they, they take care of each other. They take care of their apparatus. They have a lot of pride and I like working in that environment, uh, and continue to improve yourself, educate yourself, learn everything you can take it. There's so many facets of, of the fire department that branch out into other cool things in the fire service or in public safety. Take advantage of those moments. Um, work it out with your wife first because, you know, if you end up spending your whole time in the fire service and not 
doing any family time, that can get you in a little trouble too. This is a voice of experience talking here. So you got to you know, make sure you take care of your family too. But uh, those, those are the big things that, that I want to see guys just continue to do is take care of each other and have pride in the, in the, in the fire service. That's awesome, Mike. Sir, Chief, I appreciate you coming no, on and talking. Hopefully I can have you on again. No.